it's hard to watch a clip from Rocky Balboa and not get fired up. Um, when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, I thought it was really cool to have blonde highlights in my hair. And I just want to say it wasn't cool then, it was never cool, and it will never be cool. Uh, but saying that, I had a flat top cut, and I want to challenge you guys, if you haven't seen all of the Rocky movies, to go home and watch them, because for a few years in high school, people like to call me Ivan. You'll understand that if you watch the movies. So tonight, we're continuing on in the sermon series, Follow Me, and the message tonight is Follow Me to Victory. Todd said something this morning that I really liked, and like all good pastors, I'm going to steal what he said. He said, the easiest thing to get yourself into is a mess. And that's so true. So many times in our life, we find ourselves in a place or position that we don't want to be. Uh, we feel like somebody has punched us in the gut, that the wind's out of us. We feel very defeated. Tonight, I just want to talk about some things that we can do in our life, some things that we have the ability to do so that we can walk in victory, and that we can trust in the hope that at the end of time, we get to be a part of the greatest victory of all. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you for the night. I thank you for every single person that you brought in this room. And God, I just pray that you would get rid of any distractions. I pray that the only person that will hear tonight is you. Lord, I just thank you for being good. Thank you for being a father in heaven who loves us, but one who's not distant, who's near to our hearts, even when they're broken. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I thought I would start tonight by telling you guys a little story, and this story is of a young couple that's a friend of mine, and so in order to not embarrass them, I'll just change their names. So this story is a story of a girl named Kathy and her boyfriend Irving, and this couple was on vacation, and while they were on vacation, they were playing putt-putt, and Kathy comes out of the woods holding a hot pink golf ball, kind of shaking it in Irving's face, and he looks at her frustrated and says, Kathy, you can't just pick up the ball and move it. And she responds and she says, Oh, come on, Irving, there's no one here except for you and me. And again, frustrated, he says, It doesn't matter, it defeats the point. You have to follow the rules. Well, Kathy knew her boyfriend, and so she kind of put her hand on her hip and tilted her head, which every guy knows is bad news. And she said, Irving, I know you, I know you hate rules. And he said, But this is different. And then he kind of stuck his foot in his mouth, and he said, you wouldn't get it, you're a woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never want to say that. But he said, you wouldn't get it, you're a woman. This, this is different because this is a sport, and when you break the rules, you ruin the whole purpose of the game. The game isn't fun anymore if everyone is not playing by the same rules. As Irving was walking to the next hole, Kathy got out her smartphone and started typing into her notes, things to do after vacation, get relationships declared as a sport, and write a rule book for every man. <laughs> now, I know every person in the room tonight is not a sports fan. In fact, looking around, I would say some of you guys have no athletic bone in your body. But, with that being said, I think that um, scripturally, there's so many references to sports, and um, no one would argue with me that Sports are an important dynamic in the American culture. Uh, maybe sports aren't your thing. Uh, there's another story of an elderly couple, and this gentleman typically worked during the week, but there was a really bad storm, and so uh, he was trapped, or rather had the blessing to spend a whole day with his sweetheart. 
And as tradition followed, this old lady, like religion says, flipped on her soap operas at 2 o'clock. And she brought out the box of tissues and began to sniffle and tear up. Now this actually happens, you guys. Women actually get this vested into TV shows and movies. I know that because I experienced this kind of situation in my life a couple weeks ago when Priscilla tortured me and took me to the opening of The Fault in Our Stars. Talk about torture. Being surrounded by about 500 crying, and when I say crying, I mean ugly, sobbing (laughs) teenage girls. Okay? It was awful. You know, I brought Tyler along thinking that he would be backup, but by the end of the movie, he was crying too. (laughs) (laughs) Moving along back to the older couple, because I think I just embarrassed him. Eventually, this older fella said, Honey, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you getting so vested into this person that you don't know that's on a TV screen? She quickly muted the television and glared at her husband and said, For the same reason there's three holes in the wall and your face gets red when there's a football game on. You see, it's different strokes for different folks, but that's what makes life interesting. And in fact, we have an example of an avid sports fan in the Bible. I believe that Paul was a sports fan. That's right, the Apostle Paul, whose letters or epistles make up nearly half of the New Testament. Um, I believe that he was a fan of the Olympics, uh, specifically the foot races. He was a track guy. And I say that because he draws images from those events all throughout his letters. In fact, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote this. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, if you stop right there, you guys are going, duh, great theologian, Paul, common sense. But he continued on, and he said, run in such a way as to get the prize. You see, I think Paul's point there was very poignant, very straightforward, and it's this. If you're going to run this race, that's life. If you're going to live this life, run in such a way that you might win. Run in such a way that you might have victory. So no matter whether you're a sports fan or not in the room tonight, I think we could all learn something from the principles and points that I believe Paul kind of leans to in his writing. The first principle or lesson of the locker room is this. Not that. Thank you, David. Victories are first won not on the playing field, but in the training room. Paul says in his own words, Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." In other words, I think what Paul was saying here was that the final victory requires more than just uh, determination. It requires discipline. Um, There's an old coach, uh, the old Michigan State football coach, Duffy Daughtry. Um, This is a very, very old football coach from Michigan State. But he tells a story about a man named Dave Kaiser who kicks a game-winning field goal to beat UCLA 17-14. to Now, I know nobody likes to talk about when Michigan wins, um, but to save this story from blasphemy, it actually does have a good point. 
So as David Kaiser come, comes back to the bench with his teammates fist bumping and butt smacking, he expects to be welcomed by his coach, but instead his coach is just kind of looking at him confused. And he says, Dave, why didn't you watch the ball go through the goalpost? And Dave responded to his coach and he said, well, coach, I was looking at the ref to see how he would call the ball. I left my contacts in the hotel room. You see, he kicked that field goal without even being able to see the post. And at first, the coach was shocked and mad. But after he reasoned and thought about it, he kind of changed his perspective in his mind. I mean, why shouldn't he have kicked that field goal? He was disciplined. He had put in the practice and the work and the preparation. It was almost second nature. He knew no matter where he was on the field, the direction, the angle, the trajectory, everything that he needed to know to get that ball to go through the goalpost. You see, when that ball went soaring through, winning the game, discipline paid off. And it always does. If you get in a taxi cab in Cincinnati, and you look at your taxi cab driver and you say, man, I want to know, how do you get to the great American ballpark? Don't be surprised if he turns around and says, well, son, practice, practice, practice. <laughs> that was a cheesy good joke, guys. You could at least give me a pity laugh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel like Chris up here trying to be funny. <laughs> I thought that joke was at least kind of good. My point is, I believe that discipline is a critical part of life. And that's in multiple facets. Uh, That's in the classroom. That's in the workplace. And I definitely believe that discipline is vital in our relationship with Jesus. I think it's important for us as Christians to be developing good habits, um, physical, mental, and spiritually. Um, I think that Paul very clearly states that lives as Christians need to be ones of discipline. He says in his writings that our body is a temple and we aren't to defile it. Uh, There's another story for you guys. When I was in Campbellsville at college, I um, used to go volunteer at uh, Campbellsville Manor, which was government housing, and they had a bunch of kids that I just went over and we would play with the kids, kick ball, football, stuff like that. And throughout the week, I would take a few of them to McDonald's or to go get an ice cream, things like that. And we had play, planned out this really big event for them. It was kind of like a track and field or just a, a day of sports. And so I went to go pick up this particular kid, and his name was Connor. And so when I got him, I said, hey, man, today's going to be crazy. We're going to be doing a lot of games and running. I don't think we should go to McDonald's. And he looked at me with those eyes, and he said, Really? You can't say no to a kid like that. So obviously, like a sucker, I took him to McDonald's. So I put in my order, and I think I got like a water and a snack wrap or something just to to hold me over. And before I could make an order for Connor, he perked his head right above the counter, and he said, I'll have three 10-piece McChickens. Now, you would think at this part in the story, I would be the responsible person in charge of this little kid. But instead, I just looked at him and said, seriously? He looked up and he said, oh, yeah. So I ordered these, these 30 chicken McNuggets and said nothing more than, my man. And then I sat in awe watching this kid. It was a sight to be seen, this six-year-old eat 30 chicken McNuggets. I don't think I have to tell you that two hours later I was sitting on the side of a football field watching in awe as a six-year-old kid regurgitated 30 chicken <laughs> McNuggets. And might I add that he had blue Powerade, so that was a really interesting piece of art right there. It's very, uh, very (laughs) interesting. But my point is, as Christians, I have a question for you guys. How 
How disciplined are we really in our walk? The athlete that truly wants to win, that's truly seeking victory, has a strict regimen, has a strict diet plan. He never misses his opportunity in the gym. You know, it says in Luke that every day we should be denying our flesh and carrying our cross. And when you ask yourself the question, where today was I the hands and feet of God? Where did I love somebody that's unloved? Where did I show Jesus to the least of these? Where have I carried my cross? Or maybe it's not even that. Uh, Maybe it's, what have I fed my body? What have I fueled my body to do a purpose and a mission? Have I given myself 30 chicken McNuggets? Have I let the world feed me all of this junk? I'm just taking it and taking it and taking it until I feel sick, until I feel defeated. The true athlete seeking victory fuels his body with encouragement, with biblical truth, with God's word. The second principle um, that I think that we can learn from the locker room is this, the importance of a clear-cut sense of direction and of purpose. When you're not focused, it's easy when you're receiving a kickoff on the football team to get going and juking and start running the wrong direction. Um, It's easy to hit a great triple play, but you take off and you run to third base before first, and the play goes in vain. I actually have another personal story that kind of illustrates this point. Um, If you guys know nothing about me, when I was in middle school, I was a basketball all-star. I mean, I was the man. And if you do know things about me, you know that that's a lie. (laughs) But I did play basketball in sixth grade, and I say play loosely because I was the team manager. And in fact, I was, in fact, I was so bad at being the manager that they actually had two that particular year. And I remember this, this particular game um, where we were just killing this team. I mean, we were crushing them. And so I was getting excited, you know, thinking I might actually get to go in, you know. And the coach got up off the bench and started walking down, and he pointed right next to me, (laughs) to the other manager, and put him in the game. And it's one of those stories, like, when you're watching a UK basketball game, and they put in Jared Paulson, you get excited. You get excited for that kid that might not have the the talent or the raw talent, but he works hard. He's always there. You know, everybody roots for the underdog. And so the crowd went wild, and they were excited, and they were cheering for him. And the team had made a plan that no matter what, they were going to get this kid the ball. And so the, ticks, the clock is ticking down, and it gets to about 36 seconds, and this guy is wide open on the floor. So they throw him a bounce pass, and he catches it. And when he does, his eyes get big, and he, he freezes right where he's at. And I remember about five seconds ticked off the clock, and the other players didn't even know how to react because he was literally just standing there. And I can remember my coach screaming, Go! And so he takes off down the floor. And I mean, when he took off, he was, he was doing some moves and um, doing it with speed. And people in the stands were starting to wonder, I mean, why, why isn't this guy a starter? And then he lays in this layup right off of his fingertips. It was beautiful. Swish. But then he reminded everyone in the stands why he was a manager as he scored two points for the other team. <laughs> he scored in the wrong goal. See, so many times in our life we do that. We get caught up in the day-to-day routine, and we even allow good things in our life to distract us from the greatest thing of all. 
we begin to score points for the other team. And there's nothing more crippling or detrimental to walking in victory than scoring points for the enemy. Scoring points for the enemy. The third and final point um, that I think that we can learn from the locker room is this. Is that we need to experience in advance, in our minds and hearts, the keen joy of victory. We need to experience in advance, in our hearts and our minds, the keen joy of victory. Paul says in his second letter to Timothy, he says these words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul knew the God that he served. To Paul, God wasn't um, this abstraction, but God was this person. He wasn't just this God reigning in heaven above who was distant, but he was this personal father who Paul knew deeply. You know, I think a part of understanding how to achieve victory is understanding who Jesus really is. You know, the world will tell you that Jesus is so many things. To some, Jesus is my homeboy. To some, um, God and Jesus is just words to be thrown around to um, make cuss words more powerful, ironic as that might be. Some, they make Jesus out to be the sissy boy, just petting his lamb the whole time he was on earth. But in reality, that's not who Jesus was at all. Jesus was a strong God. Jesus had all of the strength of God. Yes, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. Demons heard his name and they fleed. He was a carpenter. He was strong. You know, the book of Revelation is all about the things that are to come, future events, and it talks about who Jesus is. It says that he was and he is and he is to come. And then it goes on to say that he is above all of the rulers and the kings of this world. You know what that says to me? It says that before I was born, God had a plan for my life. It says that right now in this moment, God's with me. And someday, someday God's grace is going to carry me across that finish line. Jesus Christ himself is going to put that crown of righteousness on my head. That's something to get excited about, guys. See, I have a question for you. The question is this. If you're a Christian in the room, are you mindful that you're heaven-bound? Are you mindful that you're heaven-bound? I mean, really think about that. How often do you guys think about the fact that someday, any day, you could be standing in the presence of the Father? You could be looking face to face to Jesus Christ, the guy who bled and died on a cross, who bore the wrath of our sin. We're going to be looking at him. You know, so many times in my life I have struggled and stumbled and I felt Jesus. I felt Jesus comfort me. I felt his hand in my life. And that was overwhelming, almost to the point that oftentimes it would leave me in tears. How much more, how much more overwhelming and glorious is it going to be that day that we stand in front of God? We're in his presence, rejoicing the king in heaven. How much greater is that day? I mean, you can ask any athlete, and they'll tell you that they do this. The all-star wideout imagines before his game, catching that game-winning touchdown, 
The swimmer imagines touching the wall before the other competitors. And it doesn't matter if you're that baseball player imagining hitting that grand slam or that basketball player imagining drilling that three-pointer buzzer beater. It doesn't matter who you might be, what athlete you might be. They all, in their head and in their heart, experience the joys of victory before it happens. Can you imagine if we did that as Christians? Can you imagine if we did that, how it might radically change our lives? Because when we're mindful that someday we get to be in heaven with the Father, the things of this life that seem overwhelming, that seem substantial, don't seem so big anymore. Because we know that eventually we win. So putting it all back together, I believe that the lessons for the locker room are this. We're called as Christians to have discipline, to live a disciplined lifestyle, and not just that, but to have a focus and a purpose for our life. And we're called to constantly have in our minds the fact that someday, someday, we're going home to be with the Father. See, I think sometimes victory is hard for us. I think sometimes victory is hard for us because often the first step to victory is accepting that failure is a reality. You know, I hate that word, the F word. That's the F word in my book, failure. I hate failing myself. I hate failing my parents, my friends, people at my job. I hate failing. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how disciplined you are. It doesn't matter how focused you are on achieving things for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much you think about heaven. We aren't perfect people. And someday, a 450-pound linebacker is going to come busting through that line and lay you on your butt. Life is going to knock you down and make you feel defeated. But like that Rocky clip said, life is not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get back up. You see, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, it doesn't matter how hard life is hitting you right now because you can stand up, brush your shoulders off, and stand victoriously because we know we win. We know we win because we serve a God who likes to turn our mess, our messy situation, into a message that is for his kingdom. We serve a God that can turn whatever test we might be going through in this world into a beautiful testimony or circumstances or a situation that might make you a victim he makes you stand in those circumstances victoriously. Victoriously. Would you watch this video? You know, we watch those testimonies, those videos, and if those people in those videos weren't Christians, I would feel sorry for them. Um, and you know, they are Christians, so my heart still breaks for them, but the people I feel sorry for are the ones who have to go through this life not with that eternal promise that every Christian has. See, these people, these stories are stories of redemption, of stories of hope, because they understand that ultimately God is still with them, that God is still good, and that God works everything together for his purposes. Tonight, I have a challenge. If you're a Christian in this room, I challenge you to start living your life walking in victory. I challenge you to start living a life not in the past. Not in the past, but one that is pressing on. That's focused on the kingdom. Letting go of arrogance and pride. 
letting go of regret past sin. If you ask God for forgiveness, he let go of it a long time ago. I challenge you to begin living your life, walking in victory, knowing that someday you're going to be with the Father. And tonight, if you're in this room and you've never experienced that, you've never experienced that feeling that you have a Father, a God who has a plan and a purpose for your life, a guy that's there when you mess up, when you fail, a God worth getting up for and fighting the good fight. I challenge you tonight to meet him because he's waiting for you. He wants to meet you. He wants you to claim his victory. He wants you to be a part of the greatest story ever told. He wants you to be a part of the greatest story of victory over death and the grave and our sin. All you have to do is say, God, I need you. God, I can't keep living my life like this. I am broken. I do make mistakes. I do stumble. I do fall. I need you to help me. And if you're in the room tonight and you're not a Christian, I hope that the words and things I said didn't discourage you about the fact that the Christian life calls for a life of discipline. Because just like any athlete, when you first start running, you're not going to go straight to the Olympics if you're some fat guy who's out of shape and never ran in his life. It's about progress, not perfection. And God doesn't care how many times you have to stop, you have to take a break or get a sip of water because he's going to hold your hand the whole way. Would you claim victory tonight? As this song plays, there's a few ways that you can respond. One of the ways is the offering buckets to give back to God what he's blessed you with. Another way is receiving the communion. Uh, the juice represents the blood of the, the Lord that poured out to cover our sins to save us. And the bread represents his body that was broken for you and for me. The last way is this altar. This altar is open. It's a place of surrender. It's a place that you can come humbly and just talk to the Father. Talk to your dad. For some of you, this is a, a long-awaited conversation. For some, maybe it's just you saying, God, I need you to fill me with your spirit so much that I can't help but constantly think of heaven so that I can walk in victory every day. Lord, help me shake those monkeys off my back. Help me forget my, my pain and brokenness. Lord, help me seek your face. Whatever it is, I just challenge you to respond. So during this time, would you stand? Would you sing the words of the song? And do whatever God's calling you to do tonight.